Greetings, users and programs, and welcome to episode number seven of Cactus Flax Podcast, the show in which I will be discussing all the arcade cabinets that I actually owned. I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's show, I will be covering Star Wars, which was released in 1983 by Atari. As always, we'll kick the show off with a review of the game, followed by my memories of owning a Star Wars cabinet. Star Wars is a space combat game. Uh, Moby Games actually lists it as a first-person shooter. The object is to destroy waves of TIE fighters and then eventually destroy the Death Star. The original control panel came with a what is called an XY yoke, uh, like a flight yoke that has four buttons. There are triggers on the front for your lasers and then buttons on the top for your photon uh, torpedoes. The cabinet... Uh, is incredible. <laughs> the cabinet to Star Wars is is awesome. The cabinet to Star Wars is what the cabinet for every arcade game uh, should have been. There are decals all over the front that make the game look like the interior of an X-Wing fighter. There's unique plastic molding that goes around the monitor. There's large artwork on the side that has pictures of the Death Star. It covers the entire side of the cabinet with the Death Star, uh, TIE Fighters, uh, an X-Wing fighter. Uh, the The entire cabinet is absolutely gorgeous. And they even did themselves one better by releasing a cockpit model, uh, an environmental cabinet where you actually get inside and sit down as if you were inside an X-Wing fighter. It's uh, The graphics are large and blue on the sides. And um, it's absolutely one of the greatest arcade experiences of that era for me is getting inside uh, one of the environmental uh, cabinets and, and, you know, as if you were entering an X-Wing fighter and playing Star Wars. Absolutely a blast. Uh, a brief review of the game. You are Luke Skywalker. Uh, as in the movie, your goal is to fend off TIE fighters, an attack of TIE fighters. Uh, once you have done that, you will approach the surface of the Death Star where there are laser towers shooting at you and you have to shoot the top of the towers along with these little uh, pieces of the Death Star, these little red boxes. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what those are supposed to be. Uh, and then finally you enter the Death Star Trench where you will, again, have to shoot targets that are on the sides of the trench. You will have to defend yourself against firebolts and ultimately destroy the Death Star. Unfortunately, unlike the movie, by the time you destroy the Death Star, you'll have to start all over again with the TIE Fighters, the Towers, and another Death Star. So as fast as you can destroy Death Stars in this game, the Empire has another one lined up, <laughs> ready to go for you. Uh, again, there are fireballs. Uh, they are laser shots, but they, they kind of look like these lasery snowflakes coming at you. Uh, you can shoot them. In fact, that just basically uh, your, your main defense is to shoot these lasers coming at you. Uh, but you also have shields, and you can take so many shots. Um, and each time you get hit with a laser blast, your shields go down one level until your shields are gone, at which point the next shot will kill you. Uh, the graphics are uh, 
color vector graphics. So if you're familiar with uh, Tempest or Major Havoc, something like that, uh, they're vector graphics, so they are line drawn. Uh, that allows the game to run very quickly. Uh, a a you know traditional arcade game wouldn't have been possible. A first person game, you know, with this aspect, with those type of graphics, wouldn't have been possible in the early '80s. But with vector graphics, they were able to do it. Uh, the music and sound effects are awesome in this game. We get the Star Wars theme. You get the beeps from R2-D2. You get help from Obi-Wan. You get uh, occasional comments in digitized speech from Luke uh, and Han Solo. It's just everything, you know, as a kid, as an arcade player that you would have wanted from Star Wars. This has uh, This has it all. It really does. Uh, other systems this was released on were a lot of them. It was on uh, all the 8-bit computers. It was on the 16-bit computers. I'm looking up my list here. The Amiga, Amstrad CPC, the Atari 2600, 5200, Atari 8-bit computers, the ST, BBC Micro, the ColecoVision, Commodore 64, DOS, Electron. It was later uh, released as, I believe it was an unlockable in uh, one of the Rogue Squadron games on the GameCube. It was on the Macintosh, the ZX Spectrum. I mean, anything that could run this game, people tried to port it because it was so popular. Now, one of the things on the home ports that you'll find is that the controls are often much more difficult. Many of the home versions use the XY, uh, a reverse XY. So whenever you press up on the joystick, your targeting system goes down and vice versa. When you pull back on the stick, uh, which really is down, your targeting system goes up. So up and down are reversed, but left and right do go left and right. So it can take a lot of practice to get familiar with that scheme. There are some hacked versions where people have reversed it, I think some versions even let you choose uh, if you want flipped uh, XY, but um, it, it none of them feel as natural or as smooth as that original controller. This is a game that uh, if you have the opportunity to play the arcade version, by all means, you should definitely do that because none of them, uh, even though the graphics were you know primitive compared to what we have today and the sound and all that stuff, there's nothing that feels the same as standing in front of a Star Wars machine with that flight yoke uh, and playing that way. So my history with Star Wars before purchasing this game, uh, I was a huge Star Wars fan. I am a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, I have pictures from the Christmas of 1978 of me dumping out my stocking from Santa. I was five years old and dumping out all the figures that were available at that time. That same year, I got a TIE fighter. I got an X-Wing fighter. I got a land speeder. I mean, I was a Star Wars kid. I was five when the movie came out, well, I was four when the movie came out, uh, and I've been a fan of Star Wars ever since. I've talked about uh, Star Wars on several of my other podcasts, um, and uh, I mean, I'm sitting right now, I podcast from a room in my house that I call the Star Wars room. It has shelves that go all the way around all the walls uh, that are filled with vintage toys, 
um, things from the Power of the Force line in the, the mid-90s. I have an entire shelf of Star Wars games. I'm trying to collect every boxed Star Wars game, which it turns out there are a lot of them. Uh, but I have Star Wars books and, uh, you know, and not, not just to mention, I mean, the toys, obviously I have the toys, but I have so much more. And, and a lot of these things are things that I had, you know, the vintage stuff are the toys that I had as a kid. So I was a huge fan of Star Wars. I remember when Empire Strikes Back, uh, the game for the Atari 2600, which was, I believe, the first console or home Star Wars game came out. I, I think that's actually the first licensed Star Wars game um, was Empire Strikes Back for the Atari 2600 uh, from Parker Brothers. That's who also did the the home ports of uh, of this Star Wars game. But there wasn't an arcade game yet. And so when Star Wars came out in arcades, I don't remember where I first saw this. It was probably Bally Lamont's um, at the at Crossroads Mall, just because they were the ones that had more expensive and new type games. So that's probably the first place I saw this. But I have seen it, you know, at multiple arcades throughout the years. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just um, I loved everything Star Wars, and I still love probably too much about Star Wars, uh, more than a lot of people. Uh, so I, as I said, you know, this was, uh, the fifth game or this is the sixth game that I acquired. So I already had five machines at this time. And I had gone from a guy who had an arcade, uh, machine or two arcade machines to a guy who had a lot of arcade machines. You know, there were a lot of people that had one, arcade machine and a few people that had two, but there weren't very many uh, people that I knew that had five. And so uh, one thing I found about arcade machines over time is that they attract one another. Uh, and so I had uh, a coworker, a friend of mine named Brian, who had this machine at his house. And he asked me if I wanted to come over and play it. And I did. We went to his house and we played Star Wars and it was um, you know, just as much fun as I had remembered when I was a kid, you know, by this point in time, this would have been again, 1996. Um, there were no arcades that had star Wars in them anymore. So the fact that he had this game at his house was, uh, was pretty awesome. Uh, then one time his parents went out of town and left him alone in the house. Now this was 96 and I'm assuming, I think he was a couple of years younger than I was. Uh, so in 1996, I would have been at this time 22. So he was probably 19 or 20. Uh, and lightning struck their house and there was a fire in the attic and uh, a lot of their electronics were ruined, including their star Wars arcade game. So I think they ended up moving, uh, in fact, because of, of the fire that was in the attic. The whole house didn't burn down, but there was smoke damage on so much of the house that I believe that they ended up moving. I could be wrong on that. But, um, you know, when they were getting rid of things, he called me or probably just told me at work uh, that I could have the Star Wars arcade game. So I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I went over and picked it up and brought it home. Uh, and it didn't work. You know, it had taken some sort of electrical charge when lightning had hit the house and something had, had blown up inside. Now, this was probably the summer of 1996. So maybe uh, June or July. In August is when I moved to Spokane, Washington. And I knew 
that I was probably going to be moving into an apartment uh, and I was moving all the way across country and I just had no way to take my arcade games with me. So uh, I didn't have time to look at what the repairs that were needed for this machine. Um, You know, (laughs) you can play those games with yourself. You can second guess yourself. Um, maybe it blew everything inside, maybe all the capacitors, maybe everything had blown. Uh, and that's what I like to tell myself, or maybe, you know, a 10 cent fuse (laughs) had blown and that's all it needed. I don't know. I literally moved this game to the house and, you know, within a week or two had accepted this job all the way across the country and started making plans to move and liquidate, you know, some of our things, including my collection of arcade games. So I never, I don't think once, uh, opened the back of this machine. I, I just, I literally moved it in and then all of a sudden, you know, things changed. So what was wrong with this machine? I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I like to tell myself that it was completely shot inside and that I didn't literally give away an Atari star Wars cabinet for nothing which is what happened. So as I was liquidating my games to prepare for this move, uh, I, I, um, threw it in somebody bought one of the games and I said, Hey, I have a star Wars cabinet that doesn't work. And I remember this guy was like, well, I'll do you the favor of hauling it away. And I always think back to that. And I always wonder if that guy really knew what he was getting. You know, I mean, it almost seemed like, uh, that he knew and that he was, you know, trying to play it down a little bit. So, uh, I don't know. Regrets. I have a few. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, this is one of those things, even though the game didn't work, I had it sitting in the corner of my arcade and I liked looking at it. I mean, I went over this thing. I went over all the graphics. Um, uh, you know, I went over all the plastic molding and, uh, I had played this machine at the guy's house. So I knew it had worked not, not that long ago. And I had these little dreams that, Oh, I'm just, I bet I could figure out what's wrong with it. You know? And this was having no knowledge about arcade or electronics repair at the time. Uh, and then, um, you know, but it's one of those things that even when it didn't turn on, it still seemed like a work of art to me. And that was really a shame. What we saw in the, Oh, especially, you know, started in the, the mid to late eighties and definitely throughout the nineties that with, uh, JAMA boards were all interchangeable and people kind of stopped caring about the uniqueness of the cabinets. The cabinet was just something that held the game at that point. I went to an arcade auction and saw an, uh, an Atari star Wars cabinet, an upright cabinet that had been converted to teenage mutant Ninja Turtles. And I literally, I was, and if you know the, the, the control panel slopes in the front. So the joysticks were almost like facing towards you. (laughs) I mean, it was a ridiculous looking cabinet. Uh, and I do have a picture of that somewhere, but it was just, um, you know, that, that era where anything you could do to keep a machine going, to keep it taking quarters and making money on location was what you did. Um, so, and I didn't want to do that, of course, to this cabinet. I mean, why would you, I I can't imagine somebody doing that, but, um, but anyway, so people just kind of quit caring about what the cabinets were, but, 
um, you know, this, this game right here there, and there were several, you know, if you think about Tron, if you think about, oh, there were lots of games at the time like that. Um, but you know, it's really, uh, uh, a testament, I, I guess you would say to Atari, but, but to that era where they would put so much detail in the cabinets and make each one so unique, you know? And so, like I said, just having it in the room added to the room, even if it, I never turned on the whole time I owned it, I, I thought it still looked great. But yes, I did literally give this game away uh, for free. And fortunately, it's only worth about $5 today. Oh, wait. Now, if we look here on Exidy's Arcade Price Guide, uh, you can see that they go from around $1,500 to $2,000. So I really hope I didn't give a guy a game uh, that only needed a 10-cent fuse. Uh, If you look on eBay today... Um, there are uprights selling from anywhere from $2,500 to $36.99. Uh, those are all buy it nows with no bids. So I don't know that, that they'll get those prices. There's one right now with bids, uh, for about $1,200 and there are five days left. So, uh, I guess I'll, I'll keep an eye and see how that pans out, but, um, the, not, not an inexpensive game. These, these do sell, uh, for a lot of money. There are a few environmental Cabinets, again, those are the ones that you climbed inside. Uh, with Buy It Now's on eBay, one for $68.95. The other one is for $8,000. Um, I had someone within the last five years offer me one for $1,000. And um, I just don't have the the space to put one anymore. And I really don't want to climb in and out of one anymore. But, um, I mean, th- so these prices seem high. But I've definitely seen them sell for three grand or more. Um, within the last few years. So uh, the prices on these, again, have just really shot up. They are a collector uh, arcade cabinet for sure. Uh, Fortunately, there are no converted cabinets on eBay right now for this. And uh, I didn't find any PCBs for sale right now, but there are lots of parts. There's a control panel for $140. There's a audio regulator power supply for $90. There's a wiring harness, just the wires uh, for this game are $130. So again, anything associated with this game uh, is expensive, including the monitor. Uh, and that's one of the things that scares me about owning this game is those color vector monitors. Uh, it's just getting more and more difficult to find people that can work on them. Uh, and there are a lot of parts inside that arcade yoke. There's a lot of little springs and and washers and all these uh, parts, and you can find all those on eBay. But uh, the fact that there are so many listings on eBay tells me that those are in high demand, uh, and that might scare me about owning uh, one of these machines. Would I buy this game again? Man, that's a tough call. Uh, you know, if I were buying arcade games and the price was right, I I probably would. I mean, I know those are some big ifs right there. Um, and the price being right for me is probably not market value, you know, um, what I, I don't know that I'd ever pay 1500 for a machine. I mean, uh, I was, you know, in the business, as I've told you of buying games for, you know, 50 to a hundred dollars. Some of them, uh, were 200. So 1500 would be a lot of money to drop on one game that I would be worried about, uh, you know, how it was treated or, uh, you know, breaking down things like that. So I don't know, but if I found one for the right price, uh, there's there's really no experience like playing uh, Atari Star Wars. Uh, we went on a 
vacation a couple of years ago, I guess two years ago, to California. And one of the great things we got to do was visit uh, Ranch Obi-Wan, which is owned by Steve Sansweet. And, and it is the largest private collection of Star Wars memorabilia in the country. And you go through this giant warehouse, you go through all these things. And then at the end, he has a, a room of, uh, oh, just like some fan created things and, and artwork. And it's really awesome. And he also has a little arcade in there and he has this Star Wars game along with several other Star Wars games and Star Wars pinball tables. And it was uh, a really cool experience to be in and among uh, all that great Star Wars memorabilia and playing Star Wars games. So I don't know that, uh, any experience of me owning one would be better than that. That that may have been the apex of uh, uh, playing Star Wars. So, final thoughts about this particular cabinet. Well, again, I uh, was new to the world of of arcade collecting and arcade repairs. So today, if I had bought it, I mean, if the same thing happened to me, I'd have the back door off by the time I got it home. You know, maybe even when I was looking at it. Although, I guess that would be kind of crude to pick up a, a game that's broken from somebody and then tell them, Oh, look, I could fix this for 10 cents, you know, which I've had people do to me when they came and bought my games. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, by the time I got that thing home, I would have had the door off. I would have downloaded schematics. I'd be going through, you know, I'd have my voltmeter, uh, you know, figuring out where the problems were and how much work it was going to take to repair it. And even, you know, if the, Everything on the motherboard, maybe if the whole PCB was blown up, I'd just get another PCB or, you know, I mean, I, I would have put a lot more effort if, if it were today, I would put a lot more effort into getting that machine back up and running just because it's such a iconic machine. And I'm such a huge fan of star Wars. So, uh, I guess those are my final thoughts of this machine. I think it deserved better than it got with me, even though I only owned it for a short time. And, and, uh, regardless of what repairs it needed, I hope the guy that got it from me got uh, this machine up and running. So, so uh, this brings us to the end of the El Reno era. I had six games, which are episodes two through seven of Cactus Flax. I accepted a position at work that was a federal position. I was a, a contractor at the time, and it was in Spokane, Washington, which was 1800 miles away from where I lived in Oklahoma. Uh, so we knew that we were going to move cross country. We didn't know, we didn't have a place lined up to live. We didn't know where we were going and we didn't even have our house sold in El Reno. So we spent about a month selling things, including all my arcade cabinets, uh, paring our stuff down and when it was time to move, we had our house on the market. So my wife, stayed behind in Oklahoma and I loaded up, uh, all of my CDs and uh, a computer and a few odds and ends and drove cross country. And this is at a time before I didn't have a cell phone. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, didn't have, uh, any type of portable communications, no, uh, laptop or anything like that. So, uh, when I got to Spokane, I uh, called my wife. I'm sure I called her, you know, on the road. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I got a apartment eventually. And once the house had sold, my wife moved up there and we lived in Washington for a year and a half. I don't remember going to any arcades 
in Spokane, Washington. I mean, this was 96 to 98. So uh, I think those uh, had kind of come and gone up there. Uh, You might see an occasional arcade game at the mall or things like that, but uh, it was pretty, pretty dry time. So I didn't take any arcade stuff with me and I didn't see any arcades while I was there. So at, uh, after a year and a half, I took a position back in Oklahoma. So we moved back to Oklahoma. Uh, I lived in one house, uh, for, oh, a few years, uh, about three years. Um, but the, the arcade bug was biting at me and I didn't have any space in that house to put arcade machines. Uh, but when we went looking for our next house, one of the things I had in the back of my mind was I need a place where I can, you know, get a few arcade games and set them up again. And so that's where episode eight will begin is with the new house, the uh, new arcade and the new games that I began to acquire for that arcade. So tune in to episode eight, where all that madness begins. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cactus Flax. You can find more episodes of Cactus Flax over at podcast.robohara.com. If you'd like to contact me, send me an email at robohara at robohara.com. Find me on Twitter at Commodore or follow this page on facebook.com forward slash Cactus Flax. You can also leave a voicemail on the Rob O'Hara podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. Cactus Flax is a proud member of Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. To find this and other retro-themed podcasts, visit throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening.